0: Welcome everybody. Welcome to Coffee and Clarks. I'm your co-host J.V. M. Brabham.
1: And I'm Tyler Duncan.
0: And today we have an outstanding guest joining us on the show today. He is a professor of trumpet at Indiana University. He has toured and recorded with great musicians such as Mina Ferguson. He's played with the Woody Herman Orchestra, a former member of the U.S. Army Jazz Ambassadors, He's he's basically done it all. Incredible player, incredible teacher. Uh, I have so many friends who've talked very highly of him um, over the years. Uh, so let us please welcome the Joey Tartell. Oh, well,
2: all I right, like the it's like the Ohio State. I I like that <laughs> yeah. a lot. That's good. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, but b- before we get into our questions for you, we. Uh, Tyler and I like to start off with a little bit of coffee talk because we value that so much in our lives. So, if you don't mind sharing with us, Joy, what if I don't know if you're a, a coffee drinker, but if you are, could you
2: you know tell us what you're you're sipping on today? I I will be honest with you guys. I am not a hot beverage drinker at all. I'm not actually a coffee drinker. I do. uh, Those who know me well know I have more than just a bit of a Diet Coke problem. (laughs) I can can tell you this. So I'm happy to have a Diet Coke with you. I start my day with one. But let me just tell you this. There are different kinds of Diet Coke. I've listened to you guys talk about your beans and where you're going. (laughs) This has been one of, in in, in the least important thing of the past year, the very least important thing is my favorite kind of Diet Coke, which is the Diet Coke with Splenda, has been unavailable since the pandemic started. Oh no! (laughs) I mean, there is some real suffering going on there. I'm just back to the regular Diet Coke. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Wow. I had no idea. Mm. Yeah. So what, what are you guys drinking?
1: Tyler, how about you go first? So again, last week I had Counterculture Hologram. This week I have Counterculture 46, which is a blend of Ethiopia and Guatemala. And usually I like more of the like the lighter, sweeter end of coffee. And this is kind of like the opposite. Smoky, full body, dark chocolate. And it's really nice. It's my first cup of it. Actually, I got the bag yesterday. But uh, yeah, it's nice to change it up. I'm trying to experiment more with... The whole spectrum of coffee not just like staying into my in my little mm-hmm. lane that i like so it's it's nice what about you javian
0: so i'm i'm also uh drinking something new uh just got a fresh bag of this uh yesterday as well um i i've been drinking um you probably heard me talk about Perks coffee which is out of savannah so i'm trying their their um blend it's called good times so like smooth jazz in your cup and <laughs> So I was like, wow. oh, I have to get this. I have to get this for this show.
1: <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a, a blend and um, has, like, uh, notes of, like, vanilla and, and milk chocolate and this, like, nutty smoothness. And it's actually really good. I would uh definitely recommend, you know, just a if you're little treat. or, or, or
1: in they, the they cup? sell
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not endorsed. I, I don't have an endorsement, unfortunately. But if they want to like, you know, reach out, I'm I'm open for opportunities. <laughs> Heck
1: yeah. man. Um, so
0: yeah, good times like smooth jazz in your cup is the name of the coffee. So <laughs> definitely try it out. You can buy it on their website. That's <laughs> if you don't live in Savannah. Awesome. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. Um So Joey, how did you get your start in music and when did you know this was something you wanted to pursue?
2: Oh, sure. How did I get my start? It's it's fairly simple. Like how did I start playing? Uh, I think like most people, I grew up in Texas, so it's before sixth grade. You go over to the middle school and I went with my best friend to try out some horns. And uh, this is a bit of a contentious story with my mother now who seems to think there's two things going on here. I went in and said, yeah, I'd like to play trumpet. And uh, the band director's like, I don't think so. You can't really make a good sound on that. You should play tuba. And I was a big, I'm a big, I'm a large person. You guys know me. So I think band directors are looking going, let's get a tuba. Everybody wants to play trumpet. Everybody wants to play flute. Let's get a tuba player. And I'm like, no, I'd really like to play trumpet. And my dad had played trumpet in high school. So we had a trumpet in the house. And so they were like, okay, fine. You can just play trumpet. So uh, my mother says, uh, the band director said, you can't make a sound on the cornet we have here at all. And, you know. You, he makes a sound at home on his dad's trumpet, so just let him go. I don't remember that part, but she says it's true, so <laughs> I guess we may have to defer to her. So I just got started like everybody else. So, hey, beginning band, this will be fun. Let's go join up. But here's when I knew. Here's when I knew this. This was. Uh, it's very clear to me. In eighth grade, uh, I started playing in the youth orchestra. It was a high school youth orchestra, and in eighth grade, I made third trumpet in there. I felt very excited to be playing with the high school guys. And so they uh, they had this trombone. The trombone teacher, local in town took the brass every week you know we rehearsed on monday nights over at uh, incarnate word college which is now the university of incarnate word in san antonio texas um he'd take the brass out and we would go play brass choir stuff and do sectionals and things like that and he said okay this sunday i need everybody to show up at this church at eight in the morning and i said okay mom you got to take me to this place and i have to go we're gonna play so we went over there and we played we rehearsed a little bit and we played through the services and he handed us all this envelope and inside the envelope was forty dollars So this was like my first gig. And up until that point, I had never considered the idea. I mean, I thought about, hey, what am I going to do when I grow up? But I never really thought about trumpet because trumpet is just so much fun. And that was the first time. It was like the first thought of, wait a minute, people do this for a living. I could do this. And that really, it was like a light bulb went on. like, oh, I'm just going to play trumpet. That's it for me. I'm in. So it was serious. It was eighth grade. And from then on, boom, that's just what I kept going. And that never really changed. That's
1: so cool, getting that first that first dough. You're like, what? Forty bucks? I can buy a lot with this, especially that age. I'm
2: a lot older than you guys are, so yeah, forty bucks when I was in eighth grade was like, I am loaded. I could go. (laughs) We were still, I was still putting quarters in video games. Like, if I could have the amount of quarters I put into donkey Kong, uh, back right now in donkey Kong jr. I think I could probably buy a car. So it's like, all right, man, donkey Kong on me. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was great.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So you, you've performed and tour with, you know, so many great musicians around the world. Are there any lessons that you've learned through those experiences and, um, it can be, you know, life or music related, anything really.
2: Well, yeah, this, like, man, I could talk about this. I don't know how big the hard drive is. Like, we could go on oh, we, hours yeah. and hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, like, we're good. We're, we're good. I, I guess let's start with the playing part, because, you know, I, I imagine lots of us are trumpet players that are listening, right? So the, the playing part, being out on the road and touring and traveling, let me back up one second. You guys both study with, with uh, Dr. Chris Moore, right? You guys are both mm-hmm. Florida State guys. We've talked a little bit, uh, Jamie, we exchanged an email about how small the world is. I don't know if you guys know of, of uh, Chris, our history, me and Chris. But uh-huh. this goes to this. In the summer of 1986, uh, Dr. Moore and I were both in the uh, Disney All American College Orchestra. We sat right next to each other, and we were in the same apartment. But <laughs> this was—it was sort of like the, the this was the first time. And this goes to what I was talking about with being. Well, I will talk about about being on the road. So we get down there, and aside from how st- stunning we looked in red, white, and blue tuxedos, and if, and if Dr. Moore won't share pictures with you, I will. Um, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> absolutely. Here's how, here's how that gig used to work. We were at Epcot Center, and we rehearsed during the day, and then uh, Wednesday through Sundays we'd have concerts at 6, seven thirty, and 9. So we'd have 45-minute concerts and like a 45-minute break, so we go out and play. But five nights a week, three concerts a night. So, you know, we get started. We're rehearsing for a couple weeks before we go on. And then we get going. And I remember sometime maybe in the first or second week, there was one show. It was like a 730 show. I went out there and I just played. I don't think I had the show I wanted. So I walk off stage like, you know how you get mad when you you didn't play well. And I'm walking off like, oh, man, I can't believe that was no good. That was terrible back at the break room. And then I look up and realize, oh, 20 minutes. I got to go do that again. (laughs) You know, and that was really the first time I had that kind of we're going to go and we're going to go and we're going to go and we're going to go. So this is the big part about, about performing. When you're out on the road, you're out on touring an awful lot. And Maynard was better than this than anybody I've ever seen. Like, you know, we'd be, you know, he almost, almost always was on the bus with us. And sometimes these were long trips. You know, and you'd get off and we'd be tired. And we were young. You know, we're all in our 20s. You know, and, you know Maynard was definitely a couple generations older. <laughs> and we'd walk out and we're dragging. And he would walk out and just light it up from the first note. Like, oh, right yeah concert time it's time to put on the show so that idea of one consistency right? Mm-hmm. when you're out on the road and, and watching Maynard every night just come out and there was there were a couple of nights I remember one in particular he comes back and he says hey can you look at this and he kind of rolls up his upper lip and it looked to me like somebody had just taken like chicken wire and rubbed it on there like he looked cut up he looked terrible he didn't feel good he's like yeah this doesn't feel great and I said we need to cancel the concert right now he goes nah i think i'll be okay and he walked out and sounded just like maynard ferguson you know it's like right so other teachers have said this to me i'm sure teachers have said it to you nobody cares what you feel like but you know and and you got to go out and and put on a good show and i'm watching maynard do that night after night after night where i know at the time what was i 26 27 i'm dragon he's got to be tired and wow is he lighting it up it's like right this is about putting on the show. It's not about what you feel like. And no matter what you feel like, that concert is important. And being musically ready and doing all of that, the playing part of that consistency, building that into your practice to build that into your performance. He, I've never seen anybody like it. He was the absolute best. He was great. Because when I was in the Jazz Ambassadors, boy, the touring schedule, and it's a little different now, the special bands. We used to tour a lot. And the tours were 40 days long, and there would be 10 days on and one day off. So you would do at least and every day was in a different place. And sometimes you'd have morning concerts at high schools. So you go out for a 40 day tour and you play like, you know, 5560 concerts, and you'd have three days off during that time, you know, so that consistency of I gotta be ready and I gotta be ready to go every single night. That is from the playing standpoint. That's really important. And so I, I think I, I started to learn that pretty young, sitting next to, to, to Chris. And then it was basically the summer after that, I went out on the Miller Band. It was, and then it was more interesting with road bands. It's uh, like at the Disney thing, it's every, you know, five nights a week, 6, thirty nine, very fixed schedule. You know, and I think those who play in orchestras, they deal with that. Like, you know, hey, this week, doesn't matter what happens, Friday at 8, we are playing this program. Road bands are a little different because you're out and it'd be like three nights in a row or five nights in a row and maybe two nights off or one night off and very hit or miss. And that's a whole different kind of schedule to get used to. Like, all right, we're playing in a club, so we're going to do five nights or doing two shows a night for five nights in a row. But then we're driving for two days and then we're not playing at all. So, ha- again, that consistency of how to get that together. And so I'm a, a pretty rabid practicer and uh, we can get to that. But, so, but the, the other part of it from the, pr- the performance standpoint is this remembering that in your audience this is somebody's first concert of seeing this kind of thing and this really struck me with Maynard's band because you know, i remember the first time i saw Maynard when i was in 7th grade and it was just holy moly like i walked away from that going i didn't even know trumpets could do that that was amazing so i'm thinking you got to take that seriously when you're putting on a concert somebody you know people have left their houses when, and they have come to see you perform so it doesn't matter what kind of day you had you got to be up and musically fresh mentally fresh you got to put on that concert cuz that audience is there to enjoy themselves and you got to give them something to enjoy so not just from the playing standpoint from a musical standpoint take that really seriously and boy getting out young and doing that you know after i did, uh, I did disney after my sophomore year of college chris and i are the same age so it was after his sophomore year of college as well like we're sitting all summer playing three shows a night uh, five nights a week for what 12 or 14 weeks So I went back to college. So I'm back. I'm a junior in college, about the third week of school. And all I could think is, when are we going to play? You know, it really (laughs) changed because then it's like, what's with all this rehearsing? Let's go. Let's go. I was ready to then play a lot more. And then being out on the road, and then it's very different. You know, and then I I graduated from college, and my first job was in in the Army. I, I won that job right out of my undergrad. So then we're out on the road all the time and playing and playing and playing and playing. So you get really used to that, but it's it's an important part that I think sometimes gets lost. That you're a lot of times the musicians we're focused on ourselves, like we're thinking, how do I feel and am I ready and I'm like right. But there's a big audience out there that's come. We got to give them something. We got to connect with them and give them something, and that's a huge one. That's all just the playing part, and we could take that apart forever and ever and ever. But the personal part is really really important because. Um, my Army experience was mixed, you know, like in the Jazz Ambassadors. The band was really, really good, and a lot of the musicians I was in there, I'm still friends with, and st- and it was great. But there was there were certain Army parts of that that w- weren't a great fit for me at the time. So the idea of how you deal with people, especially when you're out on the road and deal- and all of the time, to make sure that you're remembering that the people on the lower end of, you know, the power chain don't have a voice, and they need one, right? So when I joined the Army, I'm the— the young one of the youngest people in the band and i'm the lowest ranked people in the band because i just joined and a lot of times it felt to me like my section leader and my nco in charge were all representing the powers that be down to me rather than my concerns up to them because Mm. i don't have anywhere else to go so i would say here's what i'm thinking they're like you got to go do this and you got to go do this like yeah but I have no voice to do anything else. So that was really frustrating. And one of the reasons I ended up just not staying, I stayed four years and it was not a great fit for me and I moved on. And for other people, it's great. And the dynamics of lots of those bands have changed. I'm just saying about my experience at the time. And that was a long time ago now. But being out on Maynard's band, I'll tell you again, this is a man who treated everybody in the band like, okay, what are you bringing? Great, that's why you're here, right? So everybody came out, I, you know, I came out, and I certainly, I, I think I might have been his only lead player that ever brought a C trumpet out on the side, you know, because <laughs> uh, all of my training, you know, I, I spent my undergrad at Eastman, you know, and when I did my master's, I was, uh, I was Gil Johnson's TA, even though I was doing a jazz degree. So, you know, I, I'm a classically trained trumpet player uh, that likes to do everything I can. So, he, you know, I don't think he had the expectations that I was supposed to sound like or be like. And I watched that with everybody else. Like, what do you bring? And I watched that is how you treat people. So how you treat people is, is an amazing lesson to learn, especially when you're living with them. Because when you're out on tour, when you're, when you're on a road band, which don't exist in the same way anymore, but uh, the military bands are still much the same way. You're really living together. These are people who are as close to you as your family. And how you treat them is unbelievably important. And watching that through every lens I've seen, you know, and you, you watch people that don't get along and then have to sit next to each other for the next 35 years, you know. You know, I, I mean, we see it in academia, Javin, J- 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 I don't know how, how long you've been at Valdosta now. Uh,
0: it's my second year.
2: Your second year, so I'm sure you're starting to see. Oh, that person, with this person and this person. You see the politics of academia, yeah. Right? And Tyler, you're in the military. You know that there are certain people that are like, oh, that person wants sit, It's that person, and I said they seem to seem to ignore. You see the politics and how sure. to negotiate that. <laughs> And, you know, that's just true, and it is everywhere. And you, want, But how to negotiate that best is, one, always be honest with people, right? Because <laughs> I watch a lot of people try and hide. Well, I just won't say anything. I don't think that's a good solution either. But, you know, to be honest and stand up for yourself, and if that doesn't work, then maybe it's time for another place. But watching that through a, both a, I don't, don't want to say negative, because I think, like I said, my time in the military, was, I would say, is, is mixed for me. And I was certainly young, and when I left, people were like, you just don't understand. You're never going to find a gig better than this. And I was like, I'm 25. I'm going to go out and see what else is out there. <laughs> um, but, and there are people that actually really loved it and have stayed and did great work. I, you know, I'll tell you what, you guys know Ginger Turner, right? I know Ginger. Name. Yeah. Ginger, who's, uh, she was in the at U.S. Army Field, and she came in right before I left. And, she probably had it uh, in a lot of ways worse than I had it. You know, I came in and like you play lead and do that, and they're like, okay, you're new, you go down to play third cornet. And by far, she was one of the stronger players. She stayed, and she really made a big change, and she became sergeant manager of the band. She just retired a couple of years ago, and she did great work while she was there. It was absolutely terrific. So you know, maybe had I had a different outlook as as a young person, maybe I could have tried that. But for me at the time, it wasn't that way. But then to get out on the road and see Maynard and go, right. This is how to treat people. This is great. This is the way to go. And even my tribe at IU, I've been here a long time now. I'm an old man. I <laughs> got here in 2003, and uh, the two trumpet teachers that hired me were Ed Cord and John Rommel. Ed Cord just retired a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, the history of IU has always been a really, really good trumpet school and a really, really good music school. I couldn't be happier to be here, and I love my job here. The history back in the olden days, there all have been three trumpet teachers here for a long time, and there was a history where th- the three of them didn't really get along. So there'd be, you're in my studio and this studio, and then those students often didn't get along either, and they kind of carry around chips on their shoulders, but yeah, but I studied with, but I studied with. So Ed Cord gets here, and this is before I got here, and went, well, this is ridiculous. we got to change this. So, you know, he was instrumental in hiring John Rommel, and they had a great professional working relationship, and what I didn't realize when I interviewed was part of that was they were thinking, well, can we work with this guy? And they both thought, well, yeah, he seems all right. Let's give him a shot. Because I certainly didn't look like other trumpet teachers at IU. You know, he, the the trumpet teachers at IU have always been classical trumpet players, maybe guys that comes out of orchestras. And, you know, uh, I mean, I took Marie Spizziali's place here. Marie Spizziali, mm. when she was leaving to go to Rice, was when they hired me. Well, Marie and I don't look like don't look like the same trumpet <laughs> player or same trumpet teachers, but they thought, well, maybe we don't need three orchestral people. Maybe we could look a little different, a little wider, and let's see what's out there. Well, that guy seems okay. Let's give him a shot. But again, part of that process for them was, hmm, let's see what kind of person we think he is and could we work with him? Because they knew the history and wanted to make sure we have a good collegial relationship here. And now being on the other side of that, you know, we did a search just a couple years ago when when Ed retired and we hired Kevin Cobb. And You know, I knew Kevin just a little bit before. We would played a couple of weeks here or there. Uh, You know, I do a lot of stuff with Pops orchestras. There was a couple of weeks where he was out in St. Louis after they'd had a failed search and invited him, and I was out playing a Pops Week, and so we actually played a week together there, and we'd been around each other. Well, if you guys don't know Kevin, he's the greatest. Yeah. Like, he's, uh, obviously, he's a great player, the American brass quintet and all Mm -hmm. of the stuff he's been doing in New York for years, you know, some in the Met and some with uh, with the Philharmonic, but, you know, that's not, everything that we're looking for we're looking for all right how's he going to be as a colleague as well and he came in and went we all thought well yeah there we go well this is easy so we couldn't be happier that he's here mm-hmm. so that's there's there's a, a long answer i guess to a, a, a did i get even get to your question <laughs> no no that's answer. great yeah, yeah that's no, great that, <laughs> that was it you that was awesome yeah
1: so um Continuing on this path of music in our field, uh, what do you think is one of the greatest challenges facing our field and music as a whole? And, it, and it's great too, because you, know, you provide both aspects of a performer and educator. So you got your feet wet in both, not just in one thing.
2: Yeah, I, I think we've got two, well, one big problem in each. So as performers, I think the biggest thing, uh, our challenge as performers is connecting with an audience. You know, uh, I think a lot of times, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I love orchestral music. I love going to play with orchestras. But I think the weirdest thing that still exists in, in musical performance is how orchestras start concerts, right? So what happens? Everybody comes in. They sit down. The lights go down. The concertmaster walks out. We applaud. Sure, that makes sense. And then, and then just a second, we're going to tune up. So that's weird to me enough. Right. OK, we're going to take <laughs> but We're not ready yet. We know you're ready. We're not ready yet. And then they sit down. The, con- the, the conductor comes out, turns his back to the audience, and then they ignore the audience for the rest of the show. That's a weird dynamic. Now, I know the history of it, but it, that, that still exists. And, and of course, now I do a lot of pops concerts and I played with lots of great orchestras, which is really fun to do. It's a different dynamic. The conductor is talking to the audience. Usually there might be singers involved or guest performers involved, and they talk to an audience. They're connecting with that audience because I think classical music, uh, especially on the classical side, it's the last bastion of, oh, we're not going to talk to you. We're going to sit up here and play like, and we don't care if you're there or not. There's not really a recognition of a connection, not just musically, but actually making a real connection with audience members. And I worry about that, uh, not just from, are people going to come see concerts, but are people going to even care to try and come see concerts because, oh, it's so stuffy and it's so snooty. I, I, we need to do better than that, and not just to the classical side, but kind of all across. We need to connect with an audience. If you're playing a concert and you, for lack of a better term, don't care about your audience, you don't care about, well, you know, this is my art and everybody should come find me and appreciate me, I just think you're doing it wrong. You know, you got to provide something and provide a connection. And a lot of times, even from the way we think about recitals, you know, is Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to I'm going to play my piece. I'm going to walk off. I'm going to play my piece. I'm going to walk off. Um, I don't know. You guys are are younger than I am. I don't know if you got to spend much time with Ryan Anthony, who you know we just Mm. lost, which is one of the saddest things of the of the past couple years. Um, Ryan, I actually told him when he when he joined Dallas. I was a little angry at him. I said, I I don't really want you doing this job. Listen, I know you're great, and you can probably play that job. you will be dynamite. But here's what I want your job to be. And we had this conversation. I want your job to be trumpet soloist. You need to be an artist that goes out there and just does this because he walks on stage, and you just can't look away. You know, I watched him doing recitals. He would walk out and have his horns all set up. And he would play, and then he would talk to you and explain what he was doing, what he'd been working on, how this came about, as he picked up the next horn and then play the next thing. He'd play an hour-long recital, and you're captivated. It was absolutely magic. Not just the playing, but the connection. And having played some pops concerts, do you guys know Byron Stripling? Yes. Yes. If you don't know Byron, you should know Byron. Now, the first time I ever saw Byron play, I was actually a sophomore in high school. I was up at a camp at Eastman and he was in the Eastman Jazz Ensemble. And I went in to hear them play and went, oh, wow, that 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 guy's good. And so a couple (laughs) of years later, I go and see I go and see the Basie Band. And to this day, uh, I'm you know, I've been lucky enough to see lots and lots of, of, of world class performers. I, you know, I think there are lots of great lead players and I've made a lot of my living as a lead trumpet player. You know, I think of myself as a lead trumpet player and I can be fairly judgy. You know, I'm, I'm picky about lead players. I want to make sure it's it's great. It's not just good. There are a few that are in, like, the absolute top class and watching Byron play with uh, Basie's band. I don't think I've ever seen anything better than that. There's other stuff in that class, but here's a lead player. I'm like, yeah. Now, he doesn't really do that much anymore because now he's, you know, he runs a Columbus Jazz Orchestra, and he's a guest soloist, and he is one of those people you know i've played his his pop show in a few different orchestras a few different places he walks out on stage and he's got you he's captivating everybody you go see byron stripling uh, stripling and you walk off going i'm a byron stripling fan not just because he plays great there are lots and lots of people who play great he also connects with his audience and that is that's a huge one, especially when I don't think people are often thinking I should listen to some trumpet music, you know, <laughs> as trumpet <laughs> players, especially. How are we going to get people? we got to give them something and connect with them both. Give them something uh, musically that they can appreciate and connect with them. And, and that part I worry about a lot. I talk a lot about with my friends and my students. Now, as teachers and, and uh, you know, Jamie, and I, I, you're young, so you, you, uh, you're already better at this than I am staying Relevant. I think lots of teachers who have been doing this for a long time are like, well, this is what I do. This is how I do it. And students are coming in saying, yeah. But, you know, if you look at, you know, like, for example, my career, I s- played a lot with some road bands. Right. So I got to go out with the Glenn Miller Band. I got to go out with Maynard. I was out with the Jazz Masters, which is functionally a road band. And with the Woody Herman Orchestra, which was after Woody had had passed. And they kind of put together bands from around the regions Just people who come together and play. We do some short tours or some concerts here and there. Those don't really exist in that way. So if I'm training my students to do what I did, they've got nothing to do, mm. right? That doesn't make any sense, you know. Because every generation, I watched master classes when I was 18 and 19 years old of guys in their 50s who'd come in and say, well, "I don't know what you kids are going to do. There are no gigs." When I was a kid, it was great. Now everything's terrible, right? And I thought, "Wow, this is uplifting. What a, I'm so happy, <laughs> I'm so happy you came to talk to us today." But I'm already seeing people my age saying that now they're like well when i was young there were all kinds of gigs and i don't know what you guys are going to do I'm, i keep thinking wow why why no this is so wrong music is an ever-evolving business it's always been changing i certainly didn't do what my teachers did you know my, my primary teachers i have studied with barbara butler during my undergrad who is still teaching amazing and doing mm-hmm. great work i studied with well i studied with mel Broyles for a year who's principal of the metropolitan opera i'm not dying to play in an opera orchestra i mean i I could take it every once in a while. I, I, I work at a giant opera school. I guess I'm not allowed to say bad stuff about opera. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and then you know, Gil Johnson in my master's, who was principal trumpet of the Philadelphia Orchestra, he actually said to me when I was leaving school to go play lead with Maynard Ferguson, said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. You know gosh, that wasn't his favorite kind of stuff. You know? So I'm definitely not doing what my teachers did. My students are not doing what I did. So staying relevant and, st- and knowing what's going on, not just in the profession, not just in music, but what music is out there as well. You know, we've been talking, I've been talking with my friends recently, like, what are you using? You know, uh, what books? You know, and f- you guys know Phil Snedeker's books, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phil and I went to college together. Like, we were at Eastman oh. at the same time. Again, how small the world is. Yeah. So these books started coming out, and I'm like, oh, Phil, check these out. These are great. These are really, these are terrific books. We've got to be using these. You know, when I was in school, I was using ancient books. But now there's so much more, not just the books that we're using. Yes, we need Arben's. Yes, we need Clark's. Yes, we need Schlossberg's. I'm not saying we should get rid of those, but there's so much e- more stuff that we can go after. And from the literature standpoint, this is the other part. Well, yeah, you got got to learn Haydn, got to learn Hummel. And you should. Those are important pieces to the history of the trumpet. You know, when we think about the opening of the Haydn, you know one two three like okay here another trumpet solo and then uh, then you go to the half steps that was revolutionary at the time of performance you know you start with the cute little ding like oh great another trumpet solo and then half steps wait keys ooh, and that's important to our history (laughs) you know like the second movement of the hummel is something that is for a trumpet player at that time not possible it was literally revolutionary for trumpet play so yes we should absolutely use those pieces we should learn those pieces you should know those pieces but it didn't stop you know it didn't stop at 18 or even 1900 or even 2000 there's so much good music being written right now and over the past few years staying relevant and boy it gets it it can be hard you know i had a student bring in something and said do you know this piece and i'm honest no, <laughs> like no, I was thinking about using this. Well, great. Uh, let me write it down. I'll check it out. I will. I'll do some learning. I'll do some research on my own. Yeah, we should definitely be doing that. And I, I find it for teachers. A lot of times, the older the teachers get, the harder it is to kind of stay relevant because it's like, well, don't you know who I am? And I've been doing it this way for so long, which can can be true and can even be good. But that doesn't mean that it should stay that way. So I think those are the two big ones for me on the teaching side and the performing side. Mm, awesome, awesome. Uh,
0: so you know you've, you know I, I'm assuming like you you are teaching all day. You know you're maybe not now with COVID going. I was going to say performing quite often, um, but you know in a normal situation, how do you like maintain the balance in your life between work and life and and, and everything else?
2: <laughs> this is. This is a good question. Uh, I remember asking uh, Laurie Frank. Uh, you guys know who Lori Frank was, right? She was a yeah. tremendous trumpet player and trumpet pedagogue. She was amazing. Uh, one of the, the questions I always had when I was touring an awful lot was it felt like when I went on break, you'd get a couple weeks between tours. Whenever I came back, it felt like I was starting over. Like the first couple mm. days always felt like... So we were at a she was doing a master class at one of the Crusoe competitions she always came in as she was you know a disciple of Crusoe and talked about these things in the teaching and her own teaching was spectacular even separate from that so she of course gets to the point in her master class and says are there any questions and i was in the back and it was mostly for younger and of course like always dead silence right nobody asked any questions so i raised my hand she goes, like all right joey what do you got i said all right so i asked when you're out of the road and then you come home and you go back out boy i've tried everything i've tried playing the show every night i've tried taking days off i've tried you know overdoing underdoing well how do you keep it so that when you go back out it doesn't feel like you're starting fresh and this goes to a little bit of your work life balance the answer she gave me was this hey listen if you figure something out call me you know um, (laughs) it was a a great answer but I, i i mean i do have some general general rules um My general work day is uh, I get in early. I'm a a morning practice guy. I come in at 7 in the morning, and I've got, like, my fundamentals, and I do all of that. uh, And I go through all the horns. I'm a crazy person. I play nine trumpets every morning. We can talk about that. Um, All the way from, you know, pickle-a-none to bass trumpet. I'm doing that all the time. And then so generally that's for me like 7 to 9, and then 9 to 10 sort of open where I can answer some phone calls, emails, and my students know they can pop in at that point. They know I'm essentially here. And I normally start teaching about 10. So I'll teach during the day and their meetings and stuff that goes on with all of that. But what I like as far as the balance part is to have an end to my day. Now, as musicians and uh, as both performers and as educators, we know that's not always possible. Because sometimes, well, right, I have a student with a recital at 8 o'clock or, or I'm playing with this orchestra this week or I'm, I've got a gig that night. But for me, I like the end of the day. So when I'm done teaching, I go home. Now, in my house, there are no trumpets. Mm. Like, this is the thing. I mean... I keep all my stuff. This is a nice part about living in a college town. You know, living in Bloomington, Indiana, my house is under five miles from here. So it's it's pretty easy to just pop in if I want to come play trumpet. Uh, so I can pop in and I can go home. And when I go home, then I'm done. You know, then I'm in the corner of the sofa. We just got a puppy last week. So that's uh-huh. a lot that's going on. <laughs> a yeah. of, there's a lot of action as our two cats are not thrilled with the the dog (laughs) at this point but you know so that then i can be i can be done and i'm home you know and have that there now does that always work no of course not and then and then schedule some time out you know like when you get to the end of a school year and okay everybody's graduated i've got everything done the next week i'm gonna creep in here in the mornings and then just get out you know, which might even uh, you know, uh, you guys are young. If people call you for gigs, you have to say yes. That's what I tell my students. Like, you're at the <laughs> point of like, will you do this? Yes, I will do this. I'm I'm old now, and I can say, well, you know, maybe not. You can call one of my th- this person could do a great job, but schedule some time off. You know, because that balance part, it's important. You know, I'm I'm married. Uh, uh, I've got I've got three kids. Uh, although they're old now. Uh, the two I have three daughters. Um, two are in college, one's in high school, but the two that are in college are both at IU, so we can still see them, which is kind <laughs> of nice. nice. We let them go away to college, but if they want to check in, and, of course, we'd like to see them. You know, so finding that balance, it's hard, uh, and it goes in waves, you know, because, like, you know, when uh, in for lack of a better term, Normal times uh, when you get into uh, like December is always that sort of busy time. You know, there's always yeah. Christmas programs. You know, I've been regular out with uh, the Boston brass guys and they go out and do their Kenton Christmas. You know, we'll go hit the road. We'll be gone. You know? And so, but what that means is if somebody calls me for a Christmas Eve or a Christmas service, I just say no, you know, it's like, okay, I've been out for two weeks. I'm going to be home for this week. I like the week that week between that Christmas to new year's week. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's like my favorite week of the year. Now I've, I've played a lot of new year's things. I, I missed that the past, couple of years Cincinnati's always done like a big uh New Year's thing you go and play with the pops that's a great orchestra and they're really fun to play with and that's been a, a kind of a semi-regular thing so I'll sneak out for New Year's and come back but yeah. uh but yeah you got to schedule that time as well You're, you schedule gig time which means when you have the opportunity schedule home time mm-hmm. you know that that's part of it but for me there is the physical separation helps me a lot because I think if there were if I had all my horns at home and stuff at home I've been lucky enough uh, since, uh, we got a new building about five or six years ago. So all Mm -hmm. the air filters are right and the rooms are big. So I moved my office around. So I'm against the back wall. My students can walk in and sit down on the opposite wall. We're never closer than 12 feet. You know, we schedule half hours between lessons to get out and let let the rooms go. So I've been able to teach in person, which is good. Uh, so then I've got that physical distance. I can have all my trumpets here, have all my stuff here. I can go home. And and actually have home time and then be present and, and active there. Oh, if you figure like some, if you guys figure out something better, <laughs> please call me. Absolutely. Will Hard do, one.
0: will do. Will do. No, I
1: like that. You you hear people uh talk about that, like the separation, like not even like having the horns by you to literally like shut that off mentally. It's like, all right, that's done. Like yeah. being able to like close that. And I, I love that. That's really cool. Um, so you co-host a podcast. When did this? It's called the Open Bell. When Correct. did this exactly start up? I remember seeing it. It's like late summer.
2: That's that's about right. Here's okay. How, here's how the Open Bell started. So uh, you know I'm in a, in a group, Mundi, like our, our trumpet yes. ensemble, yes. right? So, like all friends, I'm sure you also have like text threads going with groups of friends, right? <laughs> so there's always text threads going among the six of us that are talking about everything possible. Trumpet-related, sports-related, ridiculous stuff-related, uh, anything we can. Um, but Bill and Brian and I uh, started talking as they got interested in sort of what I was doing as, as a trumpet player. And they are like, we're going to come visit. So they came out two years ago for a week in January and just stayed at my house, and they said, we want to come follow you around for a week. We're going to come in. We're going to come do practice with you at 7 in the morning. We're going to watch you teach all day. We're going to practice in the afternoon. We're going to see what it's like. And during the course of that week... Uh, Brian has a, a big history uh, with British brass bands. Mm-hmm. He, lo- he, you know, he, he uh, plays in the Atlantic ba- Bra- Atlantic Brass Band in New Jersey, and when he took a sabbatical years ago, he went over and lived a year in England and played with a band. He, this is this is his thing. But he got to know some people over there, and he was talking to us about the variations in pedagogy. So what? Here's how the whole thing started. Bill said, "Huh. Well, boy, that would be fascinating to talk about." I'm gonna I'm gonna write a grant. So he wrote an internal grant at his school. He teaches at Messiah College, which is now Messiah University, which I make fun of all of the time for being in a Catholic <laughs> school. Um, uh, I think now people actually believe that. So I'm gonna keep saying that he teaches at a Catholic school. Um, but, but what he did was write a grant saying, here's what we're gonna do. The three of us are gonna travel over to the UK. We're gonna take a couple of weeks and we're gonna talk to the leading pedagogues around there about what their teaching is and what they're doing kind of as a comparison as what they're doing cornet and trumpet wise versus what we're doing in the United States. And then what we're going to do is make a series of for like a podcast series out of this. We thought this this is how we got started. And we thought this would be awesome. We'll go over we'll take a couple weeks. We've got the connections. We're going to talk to these guys. We'll interview. We'll put it all together. This will be a really cool way to kind of compare and contrast the different ways we teach, you know, within the United States and the UK. And then the pandemic hit. So, you know, it's essentially the grant got approved and we're like, yes, nobody can travel, nobody can do anything. We thought this is still a pretty good idea for the three of us to talk about trumpet teaching and stuff. So, you know, we decided, well, let's just see if this will work. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what started with you guys. I actually want to hear that. I don't know if (laughs) I get to interview you, um, (laughs) but I do want to, I want to flip those tables a little bit if I can, because for us, it was like, well, you know, we've been doing this a long time, and we come from very different places. You know, uh, Bill, you know, uh, did some public school teaching and got his doctorate and then started teaching college and has done that since his 20s. You know, and Brian was out doing some teaching and has done the, the cornet thing and the performing thing and the brass band thing and has now has been teaching at college and, and performs well. where I spent, you know, a lot of my playing lots of big bands and doing all kinds of stuff, freelancing in the Chicago area before I started teaching. So we've you know, we ended up in similar jobs. We're all trumpet teachers and we like our jobs and we like what we're doing. But how we got there is really, really different. I said, we bring an awful lot. What if we go at it this way? So it started as a grant proposal to go to the UK, which got shot, <laughs> uh, um, which we're still planning on doing eventually. Like, we do want to go over and do that. We think it's a good idea. But, that, well, what if we just started the podcast anyway with just the three of us and see where it goes and so we started talking and started talking kind of mapped out and how we wanted to go at it you know and and so yeah we've been running gosh we just recorded um our 40th episodes next week so we've been we've been trying to record one a week so we've been going almost a year so we we did like three or four and i kind of put them together and looked down and said okay let's Let's go. So we kind of get ahead a little bit and then start, started releasing them after we kind of put the first four together, listened to them and thought, this will be okay, right? And then, you know, as, <laughs> as you guys well know, eventually you have to hit send or post and then say, gosh, I hope it's this a... is okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And not have people going, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? But we've been getting a, actually a, a lot of positive feedback on it. We like uh, We like what we're doing. We enjoy the time. Uh, so for us, it's like setting up some stuff and then we just go in there and, and see what happens, you know, but yeah, th- I mean, it really is that simple for us. It was like, well, let's just, well, let's just go ahead and do it anyway.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah cool. I, I mean,
0: yeah. uh, how are I at least for this show? Granted, you know, we didn't, we di- we weren't playing to go overseas and do anything like that. It was very <laughs> <Yeah>. much, uh, <laughs> we were, um, having a Zoom hangout with some friends, some um, fellow um, FSU people, um, while we we're all quarantined. And we we're all talking for like a few hours. And, you know, someone's like, yeah, we should like just record this conversation one day. And we like, you know what, that'd be a good idea. And that kind of evolved into like, you know, doing a whole podcast thing. And, and like you, like, when we, when we recorded the first episode, Tyler and I was like, we don't know if anybody's actually going to listen to it, but it's okay. It's for us, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just this extra thing that we do. And, you know, um, people have been listening surprisingly and enjoying it. We have, we've also got some good feedback, so it's been a good, uh, experience. At least I think so. I can't speak for Tyler on that. But.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's kind of like, if this starts to feel like work, then we'll just stop, you know, <laughs> like this, the whole point of this was for us to be able to come together, meet some really awesome people like yourself, share their stories, and then, you know, talk about more than just trumpet. Like you mentioned so many like life things that you've experienced and, and like that I think is so important um, because that, that's something that you lived out and experienced. And so that was a big thing for us. It's like, okay, we can get to the nitty-gritty trumpet stuff, or we can talk about how somebody's life experiences have shaped them and changed them and also influenced their, their playing. So, yeah, it was very much organic uh, in the start. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and you guys are, are uh, you know, coming, uh, coming from the same schools at the same time, but are doing very different things, which means, you right. know, you bring a different perspective, which is awesome. You know, you know, javin, you've gone right into the, the teaching part of this and Tyler out in the, in the performing aspect and the military special band part of it. Cause boy, the other part of the special band thing, which is, so present in your generation is that when i was graduating college this wasn't something people were really thinking of Mm -hmm. you know i i didn't know about this i you know i was at disney there was a a second a separate band and again how small the world is oh my gosh so the trombone player in that band had gone to florida state and was was in a quintet with chris moore so and we were roommates he's like wait a minute so you know more i'm like yeah so here's here, another funny story. Let's embarrass your teacher a little bit. He had at that time a yellow Ford Fairmont station wagon. Where, oh,
0: man. Uh, and,
2: it was, <laughs> and it was a stick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. nice. So, my first time, when I was down there with the Yorkshire, I didn't have a car during that summer. So he'd be nice enough. Oh, like, oh, you can drive a stick? Okay, here, you can borrow this. He had a Mr. T air freshener in that car? Oh, yeah, this is awesome, you know. Uh, but So I come back two years later, and the trombone player, uh, this guy named Paul Nichols, we've been very, very good friends since then, said, oh, you know, more, yeah, but and instantly, uh, instantly great friends. But I get a phone call because they had had an audition for the Jazz Ambassadors, and I think they had an open audition. And think about what that audition would look like today. Like Lisa <laughs> Whitaker just retired from this job, right? So what do you get? You get over a hundred tapes and resumes. You got to weed down. They had eight people apply, and they didn't find any of them that were really that suitable. So somebody, I think he was either in the band or down had seen the show. I was playing one of those Kids of the Kingdom shows in front of the castle. What? That's a college band, huh? I wonder if he'd be interested. So they called the college program, said who's who's the trumpet player? So I get a phone call. I'm in my apartment. And hello, hey, would you be interested in auditioning for the? Uh, Army field band jazz and masters. I'm like, I'm not, what is that? Like, we're, we're, we're a big band. We're in the army, you know, huh? All right. What do I need to do? Well, send us this, send us this, send us this. And so, you know, I went through all of the stuff that you have to do and go through all it. You had to take the uh, armed services, vocational aptitude battery, the ASVAB, which is my favorite test of all time. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, <I bet. laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Taking that test. I'm going, what is, wow. And I was in the bathroom afterwards because they graded it immediately. <laughs> I promise I won't go. This is crazy. It's just a funny story, but the guy came in next to me, and the the urinal right next to me, and says, "Well, how'd you do?" And I said, "Um, I don't know. I thought I I did fine. You know, for those of you who haven't taken the ASVAB, it's it's like an SAT form test, but it's really set at probably like an eighth grade level. Like it's just ba- it's tasting it's basic information. Like it's just showing you you're okay." And so he looks over at me, and I said, "I think I did uh, okay. You know, you." He goes, "Man." I sure hope I pass this time. This is my third try, and I think, oh no, oh no. <laughs> you know, so I do all that kind of stuff, and then you know, so they, so they could fly me out because I was essentially they would treat me like a finalist at this point. I go out and audition. So I went in there, and they sent me three charts. We played those three charts, and then we sight read their book for the next two hours, and I thought, wow, this band's really good. This is this is really something. And they offered me the job, and I'm like, wow, well, play lead trumpet in a big band. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go through basic maybe I can make it through basic, um, <laughs> came home. I came home and watched Stripes again. My mother watched Full Metal Jacket and says, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I said, you're watching the wrong movie. Um, uh, but I went in and, you know, but then after that, it started growing. So, but you know, this wasn't a thing people were looking at as a career at that time in the same way. You know, I was sort of, I, I think on the front end of that. Cause then mm-hmm. right after that, the Marine band started turning over from the Vietnam era. And mm. four of my classmates, mm. bang, 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 bang. One of which uh, I think you guys know, John Hagstrom, isn't in the uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, symphony. Yeah. John came in the Marine Band the next year, you know. And then Fred Marcellus, who was in my class, came in the Marine Band the next year, you know. And I started watching. Oh yeah, this is huh. Look at that, you know. But it wasn't the same job that that, that Tyler you're in now. Like people in college thinking I want to go into a special band. It wasn't that. It wasn't that same thing back then. So you, you the perspectives you guys are bringing really very cool and to watch that shift and you're on the front end of that mm. yeah did you mm. bring that to your own show which is great thank you so real thank quick you.
1: this is uh as you we were talking this came up any stories from basic training i know that wasn't uh something that we that we had but i you know there's got to be at least one
2: well there's there are probably a bunch let's see um Here's my frustration. I'm a bit of a, you guys, I'm sure one of you, if you're, it's not one of you two, you have a friend who corrects your grammar and corrects your spelling. Oh, yeah. that person. I'm that person. And we're going to talk about that before I leave a little bit. Uh, we're, going podcast. we're going to come around to that. I had one drill sergeant that used the word lackadaisical, which of course isn't a word. It's lackadaisical. And it was hard for me every day not to correct that, but I will tell you like, I'm just listening to, There is a time in basic training where they teach you how to walk. They read from a manual. You stand with your feet together. On the count of ready, you raise your left foot. And I'm sitting here thinking, are they literally teaching us how to walk? This is crazy. But um, there were a couple of things. I was not good at uh, making my bed or shining my shoes. Like these are one of those (laughs) things where you come in and they've just trashed everything. You have to do them over and over and over and over again. So like lots of people, and you've seen this in movies, and this is true, there's one of the guys in there had gone to like a military high school and stuff and he says i'll do your i'll do this for you man If you, you pay me so i was paying this guy like i don't know 10 bucks a week and he would take care of my boots and he'd make sure the bed was cool and it was immediate everything got better now the drill sergeants they thought they knew but they had no proof so regularly i get the eye of like boy tartell you got better at this really fast there's no answer to that. Those you that's not a question. It does not demand an yeah. answer. So there was that. But this was the scariest moment I ever had in basic training. So those who are going to special bands. You go in as I went in as a private first class. I think you might go in as an E four now, but they used to go in as as with a college degree as an E three. So you're everybody in basic is a private. You're an E one or an E two or an E three. But so the drill sergeants are right around E fives and E sixes, which is the rank special band gets after you're in for four months. And they warn you, do not tell anybody this because those people have worked very hard and for a very long time to get to that rank. And they're going to be there beating the crap out of you for eight weeks. So we had a captain's inspection. So I'm there at my bunk and he happens to stop at me and says, "Uh, so what's your MOS? And I'm like, oh, here it goes again. Now the (laughs) MOS at that time was, it was 02S, which is special bands person. So I had to explain that the first time. Don't lie. Again, don't lie because they can look it up. They're like, oh, see, Tartel thinks he's special special band he's special there like oh (laughs) no that's the designation so i said you know it's special oh well let me ask you a question now did you come to us or did we come and find you and and i said well i was i was asked to apply so yeah we're out there recruiting and i thought oh no he knows he's about to tell the drill sergeants i'm worried that what's going to come out is and he's going to get this rank like oh no 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 i am sweating like it's starting it's happening i'm about to die you know he says yeah it's really great we're getting a lot of fine musicians and you know we go out and find these people and bring them in and boom 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 and and then he stopped and walked away and i thought oh but that was the scariest moment of basic but let me tell you one more quick one and this is dead true like i told you uh, those of you can see if they're watching i know you you do the video and you also do just audio i'm a large person and i'm a hairy person so i i've always been long hair beard i had long hair in high school i had a beard all the way through college and i've always been been fairly heavy right so uh the only way i could get out of basic on time is if a family member checked me out because it was december and they were closing out the base so i called my mother and i said listen you got to come to my basic graduation otherwise i'm here three to five more days and that's not going to be okay She goes, all right i'll be there so they do the night before graduation. There's a big, giant thing, and then any, any family member can sign you out and take you out to dinner and bring you back. So we do that. We're walking, and I'm looking around, and I'm looking around, and a person taps me on the back. I turn around and look this person dead in the eye who says to me, can you help me find my son? His name's Joey Tartell. My mother looked me dead in the eye and didn't recognize <laughs> me. <laughs> and uh. I pointed. So I pointed at my name tag because, of course, you know, head shaven. I'd probably lost about twenty-five, thirty pounds. No beard, and she just went, "Oh my god!" <laughs> my name tag. But that is a that is a true story. She, my own mother did not recognize me after eight weeks in basic. That's amazing. that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Now, wait, so wait, Tyler, you're in the Air Force, right?
1: I am. Yes. So you
2: went to San Antonio, Texas.
1: I did. That's oh, my yeah. home,
2: That's my hometown.
1: Oh yeah, went down there. Uh, so when we got to go off base and have dinner and stuff went to the uh the river walk yeah 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 went down course. there which was awesome yeah it was it was great um so i was in basic it was like january through mid-march and so it was a little bit cold and then started warming up towards the end it's a lot, uh, lot
2: better than doing it june and july in texas
1: oh yeah for <laughs> sure for sure yeah <laughs> absolutely oh yeah
0: well, before we wrap up, I, I do have one more question for you. Um, do you have any like upcoming projects that you're working on or things that you wish to work on in the in the future? Um
2: Well, I mean, my group Trump and Mundy, we're always talking about what's right. next. We, so we are our fourth CD is almost out, which is nice, okay. which means we're already planning for the next one, which we've had a running joke since we started, I will tell you. I will tell you the truth. The truth is this. J.C. Dobzhalevsky, who helped start the group with uh, with, uh, four of us, early on said, we should do like a Christmas CD. (laughs) And we mocked him mercilessly. Like, that's the dumbest idea. What is crazy? And then another year goes by and we thought, that's actually a really good idea. So now it's a running joke, but something that we have talked about. And a couple of us have written some things here and there. So we don't know what the next project will be. We were supposed to be last year. Uh, we had a couple of things already set up to go out and tour. We try and get out, excuse me, at least once a year. And of course, nothing happened last year. So we do have some things set up, hopefully, for the twenty-one twenty-two uh, school year uh, to get out to a couple of places, including out where John Marchiano teaches. Uh, he wants to have us for a trumpet week out at New Mexico. Nice. But whatever the next, whatever the next project is going to be, I, there's always what's next with Trumpet Monday, which is always great. Uh, I'm always attracted to whatever's going on trumpet wise. But can I tell you a crazy story about something that just happened? Oh, absolutely. This, is, this is not I just told this before. I think I told this on our podcast. So uh, you'll hear it on the open bell as well, which, of course, I should plug and subscribe. We yeah, should really. absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you guys are a little bit younger. I don't know. Do you know who John Mellencamp is? Because John Mellencamp is a, is a rock star, but he was really, really big, bigger in the 80s, like when I was growing up. Mm. So uh, if you know a little story about Jack and Diane, I think ROC can you Say Big, big, right. Well, he's li- he's from Indiana. He lives here in Bloomington. So I got an email a couple weeks ago from a recording engineer I know that says, hey, would you be interested in playing on John Mellencamp's new city? And I read that to my wife, and she was like, are you kidding? That's crazy. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I guess I could probably find the time. But the setup as trumpet players, as guys like us, was so different than what we're used to. It was really weird. So I get in touch with, in touch with, in touch with, and finally, you know, his guitarist is the guy who's dealing with me. He says, all right, I'm going to send you, uh, I'll send you a chart and I'll send you some tracks. So I get an MP3, which is just you know, somebody playing piano and singing and it's a ballad. And the chart is the words and the chord symbol's kind of near the words. That's not an old <clears throat> music notation like we would normally see. He says, I'll be back in touch. So that was on a Saturday. And then on Tuesday, he calls and says, all right, I think we're going to cut this thing. What's your schedule look like tonight? And I said, exactly what do you want me to do on this? <laughs> 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 because all, all he sent me were the tracks of the chart. I'm thinking, well, what do you want? Oh, you know, some stuff around the melody and maybe a solo. Okay. All right. We'll be in touch. So he calls me at four o'clock that afternoon. All right. Can you come right out? I'm on my way. Yes. So it's it's at this point and you guys have seen me around festivals. I'm a shorts wearer. And, you know, the where I'm teaching right now, you know, it's mostly just the trumpet students and I don't have meetings. So I'm in shorts most of the time. Yeah. At that point, I, I realize I'm driving out to the studio wearing shorts and pink high tops with my pink trumpet case. And I walk in. And I think, well, John Mellencamp's never going to be there. This is like a trumpet overdub. And so they, they did some quick testing. They were very safe and all that kind of stuff. So I walk in. All right, uh, Joey, this is John Mellencamp. John Mellencamp, Joey Tartel, and he's sitting there in, in the booth, you know. And I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> you know. Well, because you know, for people of my age, we uh, you, uh, talk to your parents who are probably in my age range. That's how old I am now. They know who he is, right? He's a big, he's a big he's a big star. Uh, so they play through what they've done. And I said, all right, so exactly what do you want? They said, uh, just a solo part. There's a part, like, right after the bridge, there's a break there, no vocals, there's a piano thing. And, you know, I'd listen, and i kind of, by the way, it's in the key of concert A, so it's in B for us. Oh, like, <laughs> you <know what>? oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, maybe they want me to play the melody the piano's playing. I said, oh, where the piano is. They said, we brought that down in the mix. Okay, so I'm not playing where the piano's playing. And uh, so they play it, said to right here, I said yes, and then John Mellencamp says, actually, just keep playing all the way to the end of the tune. Okay, all right. Do you need anything? So we go in. We set up the mic. Boom. The engineer says, "Okay." Goes back in the booth. Play me something. Boom, boom, boom. All right. Can you hear? Yes. Okay. Record. Now I will tell you, uh, I'm a I'm a confident trumpet player. I've I've done a lot of stuff, and I know I can play well. You know. So you know, I'm thinking at that moment, I have no idea what's about to happen. (laughs) No idea at all. So I play, thinking, well. I mean, you know, I definitely listened and worked with the chart and tried to figure out what could work, what might not work, transcribe the beginnings and endings in case they wanted, to say, hey, could you double? I I was, I thought I was prepared, and I'm talking to myself on the drive out thinking, be flexible, be ready, you don't know what they want, I yeah, so be ready for anything. So I play through the solo part, the vocal comes back in, i got to play around the vocal, goes all the way out near the end of the tune, and then there's like click where I know they're talking for a second. 'Cause I've been in booths, that's what you do. Then I hear this, the only thing I was not expecting to hear. Huh. Well that was pretty nice. Like, are you happy with that? <laughs> like, am <laughs> I happy with it? Said, uh, if you're happy with it, yeah. it's really your project. They said, Huh. I said, I can do more, we could do it again, whatever whatever you like. Try to be flexible. Then, well, let's 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 do another one. So we go back and, and do one more and Yeah, cool. All right, come on in the booth. So I walk in and we listen back and John Mellencamp looks over and says, hey, that was that was beautiful. Thanks for coming by. And uh, it was so weird, you know, like. but uh, uh, as far as projects go, like that one just happened, like that was a week ago. Um, you know, I'm always uh, excited to do anything where there's trumpet involved. You know, I remember the first time I got called for a Pops Orchestra thing and I was like, wow, this will be it's like an orchestra, but it's like a big band. It's like both mm-hmm. of those things, you know. And the very first time I ever played was Cincinnati. Uh, Eric Kunzel was still conducting. And the first thing we played was Jeff Tysak's arrangement of In the Mood that he wrote. You know, he actually wrote for himself, but then Doc Severinsen recorded The Tonight Show. So it's like melody off the top. You're mm-hmm. playing the melody. You're playing an improvised solo in the middle and then high notes over the end. And I'm like, well. We'll see how Cincinnati is. That's the first thing I ever played with Cincinnati Pops. You know, I was like, oh, this is, and I'm excited for that kind of stuff. So if there's trumpet involved, I want to go do it. So I'm always excited to do anything trumpet wise. And, you know, in, in the past year, I've been writing some things like uh, trumpet ensemble things. I like the box of acapella trumpet, like the idea mm. of we're going to play, there's going to be nothing else aside from trumpets. What can we do? And I've done a couple, you can go check out my YouTube channel, uh, which has some big band reductions. I've done like uh, shiny stockings, the, the Basie hey. chart. Just six trumpets. Uh, I've done the, the Buddy Rich chart on basically blues. Just six trumpets. I took one of the major charts, one of my favorite ones, Country Road, and I actually just lifted. Maynard. That's the one that made me get new microphones because what I've, I was using a USB mic for a while, and that's the one when you're doing shakes on high G's and stuff. It just cl- you can hear on the recording because the recording I thought was okay. I'm going to leave it. You can hear knocking like like somebody just knocking on wood. <laughs> it's like oh, that <laughs> mic is. I need to get some real mics. So I've done some investing so I can sound good. Hopefully for you guys as well. Um, But I've been doing some of that stuff as well, which I uh, continue to think, what else can we do where there's just trumpets? I like the idea of just trumpets. So I'm always thinking about what can be done with that. I, I always want to do that as well.
0: That's awesome.
2: Yeah.
0: I've got to definitely check out, especially when you guys put your, uh when Trumbo Moody puts out the Christmas album, I definitely get it. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Heck yeah. It's coming. <laughs> Oh all, all, right,
2: all right can i ask you guys a question and you yeah, can totally absolutely. you can totally cut this out if i've overstepped at this point <laughs> no no go uh, ahead so as a proofreader okay when i see an apostrophe that usually means possessive <laughs> so when i see the clark apostrophe s in your thing <laughs> i'm like wait hold on a second is that plural is that possessive so you guys you, you make the proofreader and be a little crazy <laughs> <laughs> this is a good question
1: i'll, I'll let you take it uh you know I don't have my doctorate so I don't have much experience with that so uh JV, that that's on you man um, That's I, a, you know
2: I will tell you that is my standard cop out in Chamba Mundi I am the only one in that group without a doctorate Yeah they so, could you know, we uh, call that go- group five five doctors and their idiot friend <laughs> Yeah
1: So that's kind of where I stand I'm like eh, I haven't done much writing so uh it's on you <laughs>
2: That's awesome.
1: I guess it's
0: more possessive.
2: <laughs> so this is Herbert L. Clark's podcast, is what you're saying? Yeah, this is his. <laughs> yes. And okay.
0: I'm Mitch. I, ex-
2: I will accept that. That's perfectly good.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, I think you know if people want to um, get to know more about you, you also have a very, very uh, excellent blog on your website yes we have you have tons yeah. of different topics on pedagogy so i think people should definitely check that it's at joey right that's
2: right me? it's easy to find you can find yes
0: joey and he has a lot of great information um but besides that um if people want to like uh follow you or you know kind of keep up what you're doing do you have any other places for people to go and check out
2: yeah, I mean, uh, I, like I said, yeah, joeytartell.com if you want to find our podcast, which is available on wherever people are streaming stuff, but also at com, You can find me there because when you're thinking trumpet, you should be thinking WTF, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm on all the normal places. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. And everywhere I am, I'm Joey Tartell. I'm not hiding. I'm pretty easy to find. I will tell you, we got time for one little quick story. yeah, yeah, yeah. This? yeah. yeah. All right, so there used to be this board that followed like Maynard Ferguson when he was alive and it was all Maynard all the time. It was like a Maynard and it had like a, you know, a forum there, which I didn't know about until somebody said, Joey, you got to check this out and sent me a link. And the link said, I know for a fact that it's not Joey Tartell playing lead on this album. And I'm playing lead on the album, These Cats Can Swing, which is a charming and really good. It's I'm very happy and proud to be on anything with Maynard, obviously. And so I looked at that and thought, huh, that's interesting information. So I created my username. Joey Tartell so and I said that's interesting because there are at least two things on that record that I'm not in love with but that was the best take they had at the time for the whole band and they took so I know it's me I don't know where you're getting your information (laughs) and then of course there's like yeah who do you think you are and there's a back and forth but when I'm online I thought there are a lot of people who like to sort of hide and you have usernames where there's someone else but that was this was gosh this would have been in late 90s early 2000s I thought no, 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 if I'm going to be online, I'm going to be me. And luckily, Tartell, my grandfather came over from Italy, and it was Tartellioni, and that became Tartell. So it's, it's kind of a made-up name, so it's pretty easy to find. If you're looking for Joey Tartell, I'm pretty much the only one. The only one, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that, that makes that part pretty easy. But yes, anywhere I go, I'm not hiding. But yeah, you can find me on, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm, I'm, you know, I have not gone over to, and, and you guys are younger. You can help me out with this. So are you guys Snapchat people?
1: I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no, so you're I a have, little too
2: old for it.
0: I, I have been in in the past, but I never used it. So it's like I I don't need it. <laughs>
2: and have, And now have you crossed over into the TikTok world yet? No,
0: I know. no. no. <laughs> now, now you know
2: who you know who has. You know uh, you know Gabriel. You know Gabe D'Amartino. Yeah. Uh, now he's. He is out, like, doing trumpet stuff on TikTok. Like, he's doing, like, uh-huh. trumpet pedagogy stuff on pe- on TikTok, too. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. That would be he, cool. He has gone that way. So I haven't either. I, I, I watch both my, my children, uh, literally my daughters, and the college students. The, the Snapchat seems to be almost a primary means of communication Yeah. that I haven't really gone to. And TikTok, uh, you know, it seems to be a, another primary means of, of, of getting, you know, entertainment and information yeah. and stuff. But, boy, so I, I – maybe I'm, I'm finally that old, but I need to learn more about those things. But uh, yeah. I, I'm happy to hear that you guys who are, you're a good generation, at least younger than I am, haven't crossed there either. So that's. Yeah. Great.
0: I've gone back and forth on Snapchat, but I haven't fully invested yet. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's too much. It's, yeah. it's like, uh, before you know it, you could be on five different apps and it's just yeah. like, ugh, it's a lot. Right. It is. It,
2: it is hard. And, 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 but the hard part and I, 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 I know not to stretch this. Uh, we'll make this a six-hour podcast. <laughs> the hard part is is that the, I think there's a place where, where lots of young students are looking, and this is where they're looking, and in the absence of good people being there, other people fill that, which is one of the mm-hmm. reasons I started my blog, another reason to get a podcast, good stuff like what you guys are doing and what we're trying to do as well, is get good information out for students. Because if you think about, like my teachers, Barbara, Barbara and Charlie aren't anywhere online. Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at other people. I mean, look at somebody like Mike Sachs. Like, I I like Michael Sachs an awful lot. Like, I've gotten to play with uh, Cleveland a couple of times doing some Pops things, so I know him a little bit personally and got to play with him professionally. Guy's 30 years, professional major orchestra. He's not hopping online doing things. You know, these are the people who are, the you know, some of the top in our profession. You ever see Chris Martin online? You know? It's not really, you know, but yeah. this is so. In the absence of that, guess what? When when kids are looking, they're finding other people. They're not finding the people at the top of the profession, and they're getting their information there. And that worries me. Mm-hmm. That that does worry me that there's a lot of bad information out there, especially with how easy it is to polish up and have a professional looking video. Right. But then people are like, well, that looks good, and that's right. something I've kind of gone after here and there with, in my own way, without trying to just. Go out and bash people, which I don't think is a good idea. But I do worry about the ability to uh, separate the quality from the quantity. If I put out a thousand videos, I guess I must. He, he has a thousand videos. It must be good, really? No, you can make a thousand bad videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's so yeah, I do, I do worry about that. That's why I was asking about the other platforms, which I just I'm not on. I don't have a lot of information, yeah. but I do worry about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we um some people in my department talked about creating like a um uh, a top like here are the top platforms that students should be checking out that way you can kind of limit some of like the bad information these are people who are out on tiktok instagram and all these other platforms that you should check out so hopefully that drives into those accounts first and then then kind of go from there so that's something we've toyed around doing, because like you said, there is a lot of bad information out there or just like unrefined information yeah. out there. So, but uh, before we wrap up, uh, Tyler and I, we like to end our show on like, what are you listening to? So, oh, yeah. Mr. Tartel, w- 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 have you been checking out any new music? This could be any genre, rock, classical, jazz, pop, anything.
2: OK, I'll be perfectly honest because I want to start with this. I'm not somebody who sits around listening to trumpet concertos all the time. That's not oh, okay, really okay. what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but you seen Matthias Hoffs has this new, uh, he, he put out the Bach album last year. Yes.
0: and Yeah. I, okay. really I, I
2: got to tell you, like if you haven't heard it, go get it. It's, it's just stellar and unbelievable playing. And what I didn't know in, and, and like, I saw one of the like ads where he's speaking German and you hear the playing behind it. and I'm like, Okay, I don't know what he's saying at all, but that playing's unbelievable. I'm buying that. There's a Telemon album, which I thought it's three years ago, that he made. I didn't even know about. So <laughs> Go go get that one, too. Like uh, and, and listen, I, I, like I said, I'm not sitting there going, well, yeah, I should really check out this version of the Hummel and the Haydn. I have them, and I listen to them. I use them with my students. This is not what I'm listening to for pleasure. But Matthias Hoff's Bach album, yes. That's absolutely, it's great. Now, I listen to a lot of different stuff. And so this isn't intentionally like boom, boom, boom. But I thought, what am I really listening to? You guys know Marquise Hill? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I first heard his name uh, because I teach at a camp in the summer. I teach at Birch Creek, which is a summer like jazz camp up in northern Wisconsin. And they have two different jazz sessions. And so I heard about this TA coming up from Chicago named Marquise. Go, you got to hear this guy. You got to hear this guy. And I hadn't heard him. And then... It was the uh, Carmine Caruso uh, Jazz Competition. It was over in Cincinnati. So I just drove over because it's only two and a half hours from here. And there are five finalists. And I sat there and watched the whole finals. And Marquise was one of those finalists. And he came out and played. And I just thought, oh, my. Holy moly, that guy's unbelievable. So I went up and introduced myself to her and played. And he's like, oh, right, you're at Birch Creek. But you're in the other session. Like, he was he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And I don't really know him at all. It's the only time we've ever really met. But that sort of... He was really already putting stuff out and so i started checking out and checking out and checking out but boy all of his stuff's really really cool um but boy the the modern flows uh modern flows is it part two or version two whatever it is there's two of them go check it out his playing is really it's i don't know how to really put it in uh into a box right because you could say well he's a jazz trumpet player so it's jazz but it's not just jazz it's very recognizably jazz but there's elements of of pop and, and rap and, you know, spoken word, all kinds of things that are sort of mixed in. It's music. It's really just, it's music in a broader sense. I think what he's doing that very few people seem to be able to do successfully is say, here's my music. You can try and call it something, but I'm not sure it's really going to work. But it's great. And and not just great from a musical standpoint. He, I like, here's what I need. My rules are very simple. Uh, lots of people can make good music and don't play the trumpet well, or people that play the trumpet well that don't play good music. I need both of those things. So what I need are people who play the trumpet really, really well and also make great music. And boy, Marquise is definitely in there. And so, if you're not listening to Marquise Hill, go, you know, stream it somewhere, but then just go buy the buy the records. They're really worthwhile. They're great. And you can find his website. They're links and easy to find. It's, it's great stuff. But then from a, a uh, purely, let's hop off into the pop world. And this is a few years old. I saw this video online of this guy doing this Latin project, and I thought, well, then huh. click and I watch. I'm like, that's really cool. And there's a guy named Tony Sukar who's a timbales player out of Miami. And what mm-hmm. he made was a Latin Michael Jackson project. Oh, now this God. is probably five wow. or six. It's maybe five or six years old. But I'll tell you what. I love this record. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've been online, and people are like, "Hey, I need something. I'm something new to listen to. What do you guys got?" and and I'll put something out, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" So it's probably been out for a while, and so it's one of those things that I think he just needs more press because it's mm-hmm. they're recognizable Michael Jackson tunes, but done in, in you know in, in, from a Latin perspective. And it's, it's great. It's great playing. There's also trouble playing on there, which I didn't know who it was until I looked it up. I got the, when I bought the thing and then got the little folder. It's Jose, it's Jose Sabaha. And uh. <laughs> again, in the small world story, Jose Sabaha and I've known each other since I was at Miami. When I was starting my master's, he was starting his undergrad. Uh-huh. So we sat next to each other in orchestra at the University of Miami. Nice. So wow. we know each other forever and ever nice. that's how small the world is but i'm like oh of course i called jose i'm like i just bought this <laughs> the cigar. I goes, oh yeah that was really fun that's cool but it's great it's such a great groove um at the time i got the record uh all three of my daughters are still in the house right so we we're taking a trip somewhere and i don't know i don't know what kind of family life you guys come from but there are five of us in the car so what happens we get to argue about what we're going to listen to and i said i want to play something for you oh no <laughs> the last the last thing they want to hear is anything I've gotta offer. And I put this album on and it uh I think the first tune is I I Want You Back, maybe, you know, one of the old Jackson tunes. And they're going, But wait, this is really good. I'm like yeah, <laughs> even my teenage daughters all liked it at the time. So I think again, it it's 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 great music, really enjoyable and fun. Yeah. What are you guys listening to? How about you? Oh, okay. oh, you want me? No, okay. you go ahead.
1: Uh so back listening again to uh Corey Wong and Cody Fry. And Corey Wong is uh one of the guitarists in Wolfpack. So I've been checking out a lot of their stuff. Um yeah, I kind of have like a playlist of, of those two artists. And uh, I've been doing a lot of indoor cycling right now, and so I'll just put that on and listen to. Uh, really enjoyable because they they're really good storytellers and, uh, and then also just great instrumentalist performers and yeah it's just and then of course like sometimes it'll transition over to Wolfpack who Javian, you've you mentioned that you've been listening to and uh, they have this awesome overdub version of Katy Perry that they do um <laughs> what's the song I can't remember I, I sent it to you Javian, but I forget what the oh, uh I forgot then um it's like let's go all the way tonight, no regrets, just love, <laughs> just um,
2: like something like that. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> no, that's they, that's a Katy Perry song. Um, yeah, what is it? Uh, wow,
1: I don't it, know. Is huh? that California Girls? Is that what? Yes. Mean? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So they take one of their songs and overdub her lyrics on it, and it's just, it's like, wow, this is.
2: Oh, I'm gonna check that out
1: yeah this is pretty cool um and yeah it's it's funny too because they take her original like music video for it and then kind of like splice that with their home recording video version of it so but yeah just them two right now just kind of digging that kind of vibe so um what about you Javian? um uh, so
0: i've been listening to two artists um at least recently one yeah, i mean i'm sure you both know um uh Robert Glasper, which I've I, I've known and you know, I've listened to him for a while now. But I recently just like went back and listened to some of his stuff and it's just like it holds up so well. Yeah. And uh you know he's done some really cool projects over the past you know few years. He's he's done music for um I think he did the music for that movie, the new movie uh Judas and Messiah. I think he did some of the music for that. Um he's done music for like Kendrick Lamar. So he's well versed. Um uh, Um, But most recently, I started listening to uh, Corey Henry, um, who you Uh, probably know. He was in Snarky Puppy. If you listen to that Lingus chart, he has like that long keyboard solo, like the solo that everybody knows now. Um, But he has like two albums that he's released, I guess, in the past year. One of them was a Christmas album, um, which is really good, you know, regardless of the season. Uh, and then his <laughs> other one, <laughs> the other one is uh, Something to Say, uh, which came out um, last year, um, at some point last year. Um, so I've been listening to his stuff. He's, he's incredible. He has some like cool project he did with like Jacob Collier um, last, a few years ago, maybe a year ago. Um, so that's what I've been checking out. All, all good stuff as well, as, the, as well as all the trumpet stuff that I see like, I, I saw the recording that you, you you were talking about, Joey. Like, yeah, it's like popped here. Like, when I think piccolo playing, like, that's it. <laughs> it's,
2: yeah, it's, go- it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous.
0: Well, uh, Joey, I, w- I want to thank you again for joining us on this episode, of Coffee and Clark's.
2: <laughs> and, uh, thanks for having me thanks for having uh,
0: me uh no problem no problem and i hope people you know check out your your website check out your blog and take a listen to the podcast open bell podcast um where where is that found is that on like apple Podcasts or is it on youtube yeah, it's,
2: it's on it's on apple it's on uh it's on google it's on spotify okay. and you can awesome. find it on you can find it on our website i put them up there too so
0: awesome awesome so people you want to listen more trumpet podcasts definitely yeah. check that out and
2: if, and if you're out riding bikes i don't know you know bill is a huge bike rider and he's actually sucked me into it because iu closed down the gyms here of course he's like i uh-huh. gotta get a bike so i gotta get yeah. a bike and go listen to podcasts while you're riding yeah,
0: yeah. yeah exactly and I, i'm assuming you're wearing some some pink shoes because that's why when i first met you in new mexico you know when yeah. i think you came out to do a master class uh when i was out there and it's like man who's this large guy got the pink (laughs) shoes the long hair i was like into it
2: (laughs) i i I am wearing pink high tops right now hold on see (laughs) there it is (laughs) absolutely there
0: it is well thank you all again for listening to coffee and clark's uh uh, before we wrap up tyler where can people follow you if they want to follow you i know you're kind of on social media
1: I, <laughs> I am MIA when it comes to social media right now, but you can find me just type in my name on Instagram and Facebook. Again, if you send me a message or something, it'll sit there. So I apologize. I won't, I won't open it, but <laughs> I, I have to step away for the moment. But, uh, and Javian, what about you?
0: Uh, you can find me on Instagram at nerdy and you can find me on Facebook. Just my name, Javian Bravo, um, or, you know, Google search my name. You can find some stuff out there as well um so thank you all again for listening and we hope to bring you more episodes very very soon all right uh please subscribe on youtube and apple podcast it was five stars and we'll keep pumping out content all right thank you all see you next time